This ESPN podcast is brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. It's Tuesday. I said we weren't taping another one this week, but there's just too much NBA going on. Zach Lowe and I were talking yesterday, and we decided to do a podcast. How are you? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, too. Um, let's just start with Josh Smith, since that's one of the weirdest things that's happened in a while. The I can't remember exactly this situation happening before where a team says, here, just just go. We're going to, we're paying you. We're not going to save any money. It doesn't help our cap. Just please leave. Just go. I don't remember this ever happening before. Ooh, there have been times where like teams banished guys away from the team. Um, but never, you know, always with the goal of trading them or finding a way to, to make them go away without, you know, stretching the cap head out like this. Yeah. This is, uh, this is crazy, man. This was like, this like lit up, uh, lit up the holiday season. The NBA has really managed to do something interesting every three or four days for two and a half straight months, basically. Just like every time you think it's starting to die down, something else weird happens. It's a weird season. Weird, entertaining, uh, the whole thing. But we knew Stan and, and Josh Smith were not a match made in heaven. We made jokes about it before the season. We did. Jalen and I did our Detroit preview. We had an animation of, of uh, Stan's head blowing up. Like This was a match made in hell, or marriage made in hell. And uh, and the crazy thing to me is Josh Smith is actually going to make more money than he would have had he just done well with this contract. He actually has a chance now to add financial uh, value to his life based on his Detroit experience. Can you believe that? Uh, I think that's true, right? I mean, Detroit gets a little bit of a set off, but I think the set off applies to their cap and not to like his actual salary. So I think he will get to make additional money even if Detroit gets a minor 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 you know relief on their cap but yeah it's uh it's incredible and look I mean people want to hate on Josh Smith and I get it and everyone gets it he's like enormously frustrating he takes a gazillion horrible shots his athleticism has declined or appears to have declined but like he's pretty good and he he's pretty good in a, in the right role, which is a never play him at small forward and B don't ask him to do too much and C just take him out of the game. If he ever shoots from outside of, you know, 10 feet, but he's, he's, he's okay. And like the West is so competitive that like, if you just gave big babies minutes to him or you gave John lures minutes to him, or I'm just like throwing out random names like that, that could make a difference. I agree. And I, and I think, you know, Dallas and Houston are interesting because if he goes to Dallas and they just plug him into that Brandon Wright, don't do anything other than roll to the hoop and be athletic role. Um, he could be good at that if he wanted to, if he, if he, you know, it would be a little bit of an ego blow. And then Houston, you know, they love having bigs like Josh Smith. They tried to sign Josh Smith two years ago. They have a little bit of an inside track because he's close with Dwight Howard. Um, the other team that I was waiting for them to get involved yesterday because I had heard they were going to get involved. And then finally it came out there getting involved. It was Miami because they have uh, they lost Josh McRoberts for the season. It's not, it, it would be a very Miami Pat Riley Spolstra type of thing to redeem Josh Smith's career. And why do I feel like that's like the best fit for him? What do you think of that? Well, I mean, they just need bodies right now, especially with Bosch hurt too. Um, he doesn't really fit the way they play. 
you know, the pace and space, move the ball, everyone can shoot threes or at least shoot moderately long jumpers and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's a good passer and he's a good screener, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't quite fit their ethos. And I, my sense for Miami is there's a little bit of division in, mm. in among the power players there about whether they should go after him, but clearly getting the injury or the disabled player exception for McRoberts indicates they might try, but yeah, he'd, he'd be interesting there. But again, I mean, they, they need bodies to, you know, just to stay alive in, I mean, I won't even call it the Eastern Conference playoff race. Whatever whatever it is, they just need some healthy guys to play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking from that, from the perspective of if he's going to get to a playoff team where he's playing potentially 35 minutes a game, that's the team. I don't know if Josh Smith is playing 30-plus minutes is a great fit for anybody with, with what's happened in his game the last couple of years, but... I also thought he was underrated heading into that Detroit experience because, you know, Atlanta made the playoffs a bunch of years and he was the best guy on that team. And they made the round two a couple of times. And um, I, I always thought he was a little bit underrated just because people got kind of distracted by the bad shot selection and the facial expressions. I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to imagine that he's done, you know? And I think you just pointed out, he was being used incorrectly in Detroit. They're, you know, they're playing him at small forward or he's in this, he didn't have good point guards. He had one of the worst coaching experiences you could have as an NBA player last year. It was a complete catastrophe. And then this year the coach didn't want him. So I'm not, I, I hesitate to say the guy's done, you know? Oh no, he's definitely not done. But the, the Tom, Tom Haberstroh tweeted this today and it's, you know, he has like eight dunks this year, which is way down for him. His, yeah. sh- his shooting at the rim has been really bad, but that's been like a plague in Detroit. None of their big guys can hit a layup to save their life this season. So like his athleticism indicators are going the wrong way. Like that you mentioned Brandon, Wright. Like I, I think we kind of underrate how hard it is to do what Brandon Wright had, had done in Dallas that like jump yeah. from the foul line, catch and dunk. Like, I'm not sure Josh Smith can really do that. And now he can do some other things. He can catch it on the move and pass it to corner shooters and make smart reads that Brandon Wright probably can't make. But I, I'm not I, I, just the athleticism indicators are are not good on him right now. And look, I mean, like I was talking about this with a with a front office guy last week. Um, those 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 good athlete guys who don't learn like old guy skills, who don't learn how to shoot, especially like yeah. they can age fat. Like Gerald Wallace went from good NBA player to unplayable in like the blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And there's been other times where you think that's going to happen to somebody and then they all of a sudden develop the second act. Like I thought Sean Marion was going to be one of those guys. I thought he would be at, you know, basically where, where Jared Wallace is right now, but he managed to kind of figure out how to reinvent himself. I think Vince, who's more talented than all the guys we're talking about here, but Vince was another guy who reinvented himself. Um, I don't, I don't know if Josh Smith cares enough to reinvent himself, but if he is that close with Dwight Howard um, and he was Dwight Howard was the best man in his wedding and he does have something to prove. He's also only 29 years old, which is amazing. I, I felt like he was like 38. I mean, I know he wasn't, but it just feels like he's been around forever. Um, so, you know, Houston would be fascinating. I think if just for the on paper standpoint of it, I think it would be incredible if Dallas ended up with him, just because you think about the summer of 2013, they carve out all that cap space for Dwight Howard or Darren Williams. They don't get either of them. All they have is Dirk. Dirk's like the only asset on the team. Jason Kidd spurns them. He goes to the Knicks. 
And in the in 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 less than eighteen months, they added Monte Ellis, Tyson Chandler, um, Rajon Rondo, Chandler Parsons, and then they would add Josh Smith. Like if I just told you all of that, all of those names in July, you would have thought I was insane, right? Yeah, and you know they haven't really given up a lot of stuff other well, other than cap flexibility, obviously, um, to get all those guys and the linchpin. Uh, clearly, at least for Parsons' purposes, is that Dirk took you know a third of what he's worth, which is insane. Um, but yeah, no, they've they've gotten they've already with or without Smith, they've gotten talent at, at low cost, and you know they're going to have to work out the fit issues. But yeah, Smith, he'd be interesting there. I mean, look, without without Wright, they're playing like Charlie Villanueva and Dirk together, like mm. that really can't sustain. They're trying Greg Smith. They're playing more small ball. They hate playing Dirk at center. And they've broken that out a couple of times. And Jermaine O'Neal just had this bizarre series of tweets, right? Not, not bizarre, but he teased like he was going to tweet his decision about what he was going to do. But so far he's, I'm looking at, he said like six tweets about how hard this decision is for him and how he's, how he is physically, he says he's physically better than 60% of the bigs in the league right now, blah, blah, blah. But he still hasn't said what the hell he's going to do. Um, everyone kind of thinks he's going to go to Dallas, but if he doesn't, they, they definitely need a, another big body. Yeah. They, the, the Rondo trade has spawned this, uh, like, you know, people wondering how he's going to fit with Monte and was it worth it and all this stuff. Like, just in a vacuum, it was worth it because their point guards were terrible. And anybody who thinks Rondo isn't better than all the point guards they had by a significant margin is insane. But they decimated their bench. And I that's like yesterday I watched them play Atlanta. It was, yesterday was a secretly good hoops day. There was a lot of good Great games Great game yesterday. And, you know, there's Charlie Villanueva. And you're thinking, oh, so this is maybe why this wasn't that great of a trade for them. Because not only was Brandon Wright, you know, a really good 20 minutes a game for them, but, you know, I like Jay Crowder. I think he's a really good defensive player. And to lose both of those guys, just you can kind of feel it. And they, and there is a little pressure on them now to to add people. And it's it's easy to get role, role guys in February, especially after buyouts. But it's still an issue right now, I think, don't you? Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they can't, they, they need another big body and right, right for them off the bench was underrated and really, really good. And they're playing guys who are <clears throat> marginal rotation players. Now they're playing guys out of position and we know they don't want to play Dirk at center hardly ever to expose them to that kind of banging. It wasn't really an issue against the Hawks last night, but they, they, they need another guy and, and Crowder, you know, we'll see if he amounts to much in the NBA, but he's a, he's a prospect worth worth looking at and you know it's going to be it's going to be really fascinating i mean rondo has hurt their spacing you've seen it in the first two games and it's going to take a while to yeah. kind of sort to, to sort that out it, it, you know look talent wise clearly it was a no-brainer um just to get a guy of rondo's talent i actually i'm not a big rondo guy i think he's a little bit overrated i think it's going to be a complicated fit for them but he's worlds better than their other point guards and i get why they took the risk it's, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of how it all works out. I mean, the West is a freaking bloodbath. Yeah, you you wrote about the trade right after it happened, and you presented basically both sides, why it could be considered a good move and why it couldn't. It was it was a very Spock, Spock-like column. You, you, <laughs> you, you saw both sides, and it was, it was fresh, it was new. Maybe you didn't want to go, go on a limb one way or the other yet. It feels like now you're leaning a little bit against it. Is that fair? No, I think I think ultimately, 
if you put a gun to my head, if I were Dallas, I would do it because I think it's, I think it's the, uh, the, he's clearly, look, they were not going to win the West with the defense they were playing. And he gives them a little size, a little length, a little tenacity. I think he's overrated as a defender too, but compared to the guys he's replacing, he's decent. He'll help them on the boards. Like if they want to win a championship this year, this is helpful for them. And I think maybe they can re-sign him at a non-max contract. And you've got like a guy going forward for the next few years that can play with Dirk. I just think people remember Rondo from like three years ago against Miami doing crazy stuff and think that's who Dallas is getting. And we haven't seen that player. And there's the assumption that he'll just flip the switch and it will come on. But like, he's in a, he was in a contract year this year. Like he should be contract year Rondo. And he was just frankly, not that good on either end of the floor. And he's just a weird stylistic piece that kind of halfway doesn't fit the way they've been playing offense. It's just, you know, it's, he's a weird piece and he can't shoot and he mucks up your spacing and you've got to mix them in there. And ultimately I think you bet on Rick Carlisle to figure it out, but it, it's a risky, it's a risky deal. Yeah. He, I was talking about this with somebody with one of my friends yesterday, I, you know, contract year Rondo. I, I do feel like a huge part of him in the contract year was his, he just didn't want to get hurt. And that, that was just why I watched more Celtics than usual this year, just cause I kind of liked the team. And I just always got the sense from him just as somebody who, you know, still played a lot of pickup basketball until recently. You can kind of tell when guys don't care if they get hurt versus when they care. And the way he was playing to me looked like a guy who just wanted to get through the season without an injury, which is a terrible way for him to play. Cause I, I thought one of the things that made him great was he would be occasionally reckless. He would switch on, you know, he would just go barreling into the lane and barrel off big guys. And he just wasn't doing that. He never took charges. Um, defensively, he, he wasn't as bad as like Kobe, but he was definitely below average. He wasn't trying that hard on defense. And yeah, people it's one of defense is funny. Like it, it takes people like there's like a two year lag time between when someone's defensive ability changes one way or the other, when, and when yep. people media and fans realize it. And like Rondo's in that's like, people still think he's an all defense kind of player. And he just hasn't been for two or three no. years at least. But I think, I think on Dallas that can go back pretty quickly. And you could even have, you, you can see it in the last two games. Cause some of the stuff he does is just unique to him. Like the way he floats around and tries to sneak behind guys and the way he helps and the way he jumps, you know, he gambles on steals too much. I, he can guard bigger guys, which I always thought has made, made him a little bit unique. From and I, and I think cards. that's huge. For, I think that's huge for Dallas. When you have so many little guys, you need yep. some of those little guys to be able to guard twos and his rebounding too. I mean, that's what makes him really unique and that's a weak spot for the right. Mavs, I'm, uh, not that, uh, especially on defense, but on offense, they would like more offensive rebounds. They're a team that kind of believes in the power of offensive rebounds. And if you can get like, you like watch Patrick Beverly offensive rebound for the Rockets. Like if you can get like three or four sneaky point guard, offensive rebounds a game, then you kick out for threes like that. That those are game changers. Right. Well, then the other thing he, you know, you talk about the spacing, and I agree. It's going to take them a little little bit of time to figure it out because they got Chandler, too. And you don't want to get in the situation where OKC was the last couple of years where you're playing three on five, and it's just easy to kind of focus on the three guys in the last six minutes. But Rondo, and he had this skill, too, especially during the, the peak of Pierce, KG, and, and Ray Allen. He has the ability when he doesn't have the ball. People always think, like, oh, he's just going to stand there and you can lay off him. Like that's not what he does. Like he does, 
he's sneaky. He kind of, he's cagey. He moves around like a cat and all of a sudden he's along the baseline or he's suddenly doing a cut for a layup or he's kind of lingering, waiting for the rebound. He's always up to stuff when he's locked in. And I, I think that's the guy that Dallas is getting in Boston. He would just give up the ball and just stand there. You know, he wasn't, and I, and I do think they had to trade him. It, it was too bad. That was the way it worked out, but you know, not, not just for what we were seeing from the games, but from what I was hearing, you know, in practice, when you have your guy who's the unquestioned best guy in the team and the quote unquote leader of the team, and he's just not going hard in practice at all, that puts a, a coach who's trying to get through to young players in a really bad spot. And I think they knew they had to trade him. What's crazy is Dallas really had the only good offer. They, were, they, they weren't really bidding against it. I think Danny maybe made them think there were other people, but from what you've heard, there was no other good offer, right? Uh, from what I heard, the Lakers made it made it known that they would have offered Nash uh, Houston's pick that they got for Jeremy Lin in a second rounder. And so Houston's pick is going to be wherever it is, 24-25. So that's a little bit qualitatively worse than Dallas's offer, but not, like not miles worse. Uh, and then just like, I don't, you know, look, I, there aren't that many teams. I mean, he's an expiring contract. He wants a big max contract in the summer. He's going to be a free agent and he plays at a loaded position. And I don't like start ranking the point guards. He, 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 I don't know if he's one of the top 10 or 12 point guards in the NBA anymore. They just weren't going to gin up good offers for that kind of player. When some of the crazy teams, a are bad, so it's not like they're yeah. trying. They're scrambling for playoff seating, and B have cap room in the summer and can just sign him without giving up anything. And you know, I wrote this, but the ACL tear it, it was it was horrible on every level for Boston, and, and it was horrible for trade reasons because it, it wiped out the season when they would have gotten something for him, and that was last season when like the team that gets him can say, hey, we have him for this season and you know training camp and a full season after that to really get him into our team and make him want to stay here and see what we have. And that's like the Darren Williams trade happened on that timetable. And yep. it just wiped that season out for them. I think the Darren Williams trade is your best case scenario for a trade like that. And I think, you know, Rashid Wallace, Rondo, people like that, the in-season trade where there's just no market, but the team knows they have to get rid of them anyway. Um, I think that's the worst. You, Both of us have heard that um, maybe Dallas wasn't as unanimous with this trade as as we thought I, i've heard varying things on carlisle um i've heard that he was against it i've heard that he was lukewarm on it and i've heard that he was he was in on it but i tend to believe the lukewarm to not as into it version how if you're carlisle that you knew what you had with the team you had you weren't going to probably win the title but you weren't going to take any heat for it now you bring rondo in monte ellis is, has a head case history but has been great for dallas but in the past like especially in milwaukee definitely got a little head casey um now you have two of those guys and then you're talking about bringing josh smith in too if i'm carlisle well i don't have any hair left to lose but i'm losing whatever hair i would have lost i feel like yeah I, i've heard divided things and I've, I've heard enough divided things that i I'm, i don't really know what the truth is about you know who wanted him and who was a little nervous about it and all of that but um I will say this, the more I cover the NBA and the more I talk to people, I, I sort of, I, I've learned that you can't underestimate the importance of training camp and just the, the security of having a guy in camp to learn your system, to, to learn his teammates and all of that. And like, and, and on the flip side, the difficulty of incorporating a guy in the middle of the season. I mean, all teams don't like to do that. 
it's more challenging than I think we think from the outside. It's, it's just, it's, and then you throw in the fact that he's a completely unique player. It isn't easy. I wouldn't be surprised if the coaching staff thought, Phew, man, we're rolling here offensively. We're yeah. really playing well. And now we got to, we got to reinvent the wheel a little bit. Yeah. And that, that what you just mentioned is, is huge and something that people don't really think about that much. The other thing that people don't think about is just familiarity and how important it is with basketball. And you can feel it whether you play pickup or wherever, when you're playing with people, you don't know, there's always a little bit of a hesitation or, Oh, I thought you were going there, but you went here and, and it just takes a while. We even saw it with Cleveland and we're still seeing it with Cleveland. Like you put that many new players on a team and it's going to take a while just for them to reach a, 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 a average level of familiarity. Um, and then, you know, hopefully after years and years and years, that familiarity becomes what we saw with like, you know, the 2013 heat or something like that. I thought Dallas's best advantage from what I saw the first six weeks was how it just seemed like they knew how to play together. And the some of the parts was, wasn't as good as the actual whole. And now they're in a situation where it's parts again. And I wonder like, you know, do you, if you had to pick New Orleans or Phoenix to make a run here, would you pick either of those teams to make a run or just, you don't think either of them will? I don't, I, I think the playoff race is over. I mean, I wrote this today, but I, I don't, I mean, the, the Pelicans are in eighth, Phoenix is in ninth, Oklahoma city is in 10th, but like, that's a false reading of the standings. Oklahoma city is in eighth, just put them there and they might get higher than that. And then you have to think, who are those other teams catching? Like who in the top? So they're already five and six games behind the seventh yeah. and sixth seeds and barring an injury. I just don't see any of those teams falling apart. Now injuries happen. And if you're new Orleans and Phoenix, you have to, you know, continue to play as if you might get a break like that. But you know, I think Phoenix is a better team, uh, a more cohesive team, even though they've had some chemistry issues and some really bad home losses, but new Orleans, a game ahead of them. And, and they played a really, really tough schedule. Whereas Phoenix has played a pretty easy schedule with a lot of Eastern conference teams. Like, so I guess I'd pick new Orleans just because the schedule is going to lighten up for them in January. But I, I, I don't really think either of those teams has a realistic chance to make the playoffs. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't see it. Well, I, you're making one mistake. You're, you're looking at those teams like they're finished products. And I'm not sure New Orleans is because, you know, the X factor with New Orleans is if they miss the playoffs, but they don't get a top three pick, it goes to Houston, right? So well, that's the thing. They have no, they, they have no trade assets left. Well, you're right. Yes, they don't have any trade assets left, but they have one move to make. You know what it is. There's a, there's a move where they take on more salary for a slight upgrade that you only do if you're kind of slightly panicking and, you, and you're going to lose your first-round pick if you don't make the playoffs. There's a move out there. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm kind of in suspense right now. You're in suspense? It's, it's, yeah. a team, it's a team that lives very close to where you live. It's okay. a guy who makes a lot of money. Well, there's four guys. I mean, <laughs> you're describing at least four guys in the new general New York City area. Joe Johnson. Well, you know, a lot of people have mentioned the Joe Johnson, Eric Gordon possibility, and oh, I've been yeah. told I've been told repeatedly that no, 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 okay. um, from both sides. But mm. um, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess. Um, 
you know, so, the Nets save some money. The Pelicans get a player who's actually healthy and pretty good. Uh, I think they'd have to do some salary gymnastics because Joe makes so much more than Gordon does. But um, their contract expired. No, it's 50, he's 15. And what's Johnson, like 21, 22? You could do it for like. Uh, it's not much. You're right. It's jo- It would be Johnson for like Eric Gordon makes 15. Johnson's you throw in Johnson. Oh, my God. John Salmons and you know, Austin rivers or whatever. And you're done. Like they, they could get there. And there's a lot of stuff going around about Prokhorov right now because the ruble has gone way down in Russia and he's, he's just not there. I mean, he doesn't, he's probably the all time absentee NBA owner we've had this century. I think he goes to like three games a year. Um, Yeah. The, the, they, they have to swap picks with Atlanta this year. So they can't even tank. Boston gets their pick next year. They got to swap picks with Boston in 2017 and Boston gets their 2018 pick. So blowing it up makes no sense, but paying crazy amounts of money for a roster that has no chance of winning the title makes no sense either, which is why I think, I think Darren ends up in Sacramento and I think Joe Johnson gets traded and new Orleans makes the most sense. And if you put Joe Johnson on new Orleans you know, in lieu of Eric Gordon, who isn't even playing, that's a really interesting team now, you know, especially Joe Johnson, you know, say what you want about the dude, but that dude can make plays at crunch time. And that guy's a good two guard who, you know, can still do things. I I think they'd be interesting if they got him. Well, he's one of the, he had one of the greatest crunch time seasons ever last year, where he was like eight of nine in the last minute of a game or something like the last minute of close games is crazy. One buzzer beater Mm. after another, he can play both wing positions. Yeah. Joe Johnson is good. I mean, the contract has come to define him, but he's a very good NBA player. He would clearly help them. He can play with and without the ball. He can post up. He can do lots of – he's a good defender. He would clearly help them, and, and, you know, they need help on the wing. They need some balance in their roster, which is all screwed up, and their bench is a disaster and everything that we all know. I, you know, and, and, again, the Nets would save some money, and that should be the Nets' primary goal is just get out of these contracts as soon right. as possible. And and that's why Darren Darren to Sacramento Darren Williams to Sacramento is fascinating to me. The Plumlee variable, the Plumlee holdup is so interesting because Plumlee went from like, it was like look at chart Plumlee's last year. Like a year ago, he was like bench surprise. Oh wow, Plumlee's really good. Then the playoffs came around and like Plumlee basically fell out of the rotation. It was like oh he's not ready for prime time. Then it's like Team USA Plumlee doesn't deserve it, but like still it's cool he's on Team USA. Then he like almost fell out of the rotation and basically did again this season. Jerome Jordan was playing over him in a few games. And yeah. now over the last two weeks, it's like Plumlee's averaging 20 and 10. He's dunking everything in sight. And now he's like the holdup in your one chance to dump Darren Williams' terrible contract. And you wonder how much of a holdup he would be if it weren't for the last 10 days. Well, all right, so let's say they dump Joe Johnson to New Orleans. They'd save five million bucks this year, something like that. If they could figure out a way to dump Darren on the Kings, save another four, and then you buy KG out in February and you save two thirds of his salary, which I think he would do because he'd just immediately go to the Clippers or wherever. And I think he's tradable too, but it's just a matter of you know true. he can he can dictate uh, right because of a so, no trade, but. So they're at, I don't know how accurate this is, this is on HoopSite. They're at 91 million right now. They could get under 80 with three moves. 
and then at that point, um, you know, I forget what what is the luxury tax number? Is it it's high seventies? Seventy seven. Yeah, at that 76, point. Seventy six nine. Although actually the uh one of that part of that number is four million for Travis Outlaw, which is an amnesty. So those three moves would get them under the tax, which is what they have to do. Um and I think that's I think that's their plan. And I, and Joe Johnson, again, I, you know, is has been defined by his contract, but I think he's a better player than that. And I also don't mind getting Joe Johnson because now it's just this year or next year. And next year that's a giant expiring contract that that Either he's still good, or you, or that becomes a real trade asset. You know, I, I don't mind paying Joe Johnson twenty four million in two thousand sixteen if I if I can trade it. So can you trade it though? I mean, expiring contracts just aren't worth much anymore, especially ones that are that big. But you know, it's it's a it's not a bad thing to have. I mean, for me, the Nets look yeah. the savings. The savings is nice. Saving Proker off some money is nice, and and all of that to me like their only path to being interesting as a franchise until they start getting their picks back is in free agency and the only yeah. way they can really get there and be power players is to start getting off of this money. So, you know, like even if D will, even if you have to take back crap for D will, the crap doesn't run as long as his contract runs, which has two seasons left after this one at a disastrously high number. So you can start being active, at least trying to get new guys in there. But I mean, like they're, it almost doesn't matter. They just, it, they, they have no avenue to being good in the yeah. next five years because they don't have their picks. And even if they do dump all this money, it's like Kevin Durant isn't coming here to be the guy on a bad team. Like that's just, that, that that's not happening. Right. What is it's, have you ever seen a, a, a team get ruined with more moves than, than I, I can't remember a team not having a future for this long while also not having a present, like without having like some sort of gigantic injury or something. Just it's, it's it's kind of unprecedented, and I can't believe Billy King still has a job. I, I just you know, I don't know what else you have to do to lose your job. And he lost this power struggle with Jason, or he won this power struggle with Jason Kidd, who I I will fully admit I made a lot of jokes about last year as a first year coach. Jason Kidd's done a really nice job with the Bucks. I gotta say, really really Jason, nice. Jason Kidd's a legitimately good coach, and I think we yeah. learned that in the second half of last year. We're learning it now. He's a good coach. Um, and, you know, I, if the Nets miss the playoffs this year, which, again, in the Eastern Conference, that's actually hard to do, um, especially if, you know, if, if, if Boston has another if, – if Boston has a Jeff Green, trade in, a Jeff Green trade in them, they could fall back. And then it's like Orlando, Indiana, Charlotte, these, games, these teams are 10 games under 500 right now. They're the next teams in line. Orlando has a bunch of home games coming to them. They've already played 20 road games. It's like, are you yeah. – are you uh, are you really, you know, do you really have faith in them to, to make a run? But if they miss the playoffs, I, I do think, and even if they just get the eighth seed and get destroyed in the first round, I, I don't think, I don't think Billy King survives it. I, I just don't. And, and I, you know, we'll see. He's survived everything else. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just bad. They're bad. And they have no avenue to get good. And I think the Garnett-Pierce trade and everything they gave up just for a year, Pierce and Garnett, who just immediately fossilized as as soon as he joined them, um, is on the the short list of worst trades ever potentially. If because I, you know, I don't even think 
I don't know if the majority of NBA fans know that Atlanta is going to swap picks with them this year. Atlanta's 20 and seven right now. You know, they Atlanta could conceivably, you know, that could be like the 24th pick or the 23rd pick, something like that. And Brooklyn could, that could be the ninth pick. And Atlanta kind of under the radar, starting with the miraculous Joe Johnson trade, which is another one of the worst trades, but just which, to by the way, that salary. How did they get pick swaps as part of this trade? I mean, that's it's like, amazing. that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate due diligence reminder. Like, just ask for stuff to see if you can get it. And yeah. don't give up stuff just because you want to get something done. Like, that's all that is. That's Atlanta being like, okay, can we get this? Like, might as well just ask for it. And that's the Nets being like, oh, yeah, we just we just want Joe Johnson so badly. Like, just whatever, pick swap. Like, that's not going to be an issue. And like, now it's an issue. So Billy King gave up the second overall pick and the third overall pick for Darren Williams. He gave up the sixth overall pick, which turned out to be Damon Lillard for Jared Wallace. Now, that's that's an all-time bad trade. That's that an all-time bad trade. That is like that. We're going to be telling our that. That's fifty years from now. We're going to be talking about that trade. That and the day of the trade or the day after the trade. He came out and said, "We only think there are three good players in this draft anyway. Right. So unless it's because it's a top three protected pick. So if, it's, yeah. if it falls outside the top three, who cares? You know. And and well, okay. I mean, but he I, said I, that in February. We hadn't even seen the March Madness yet. Because because the draft changes every year from February to June. That was incredible. And then I've, gives I've, away. Look, Portland couldn't believe, literally could not believe that right. that trade was available to them. Anyway, please continue. Well, and then they lose the, there were two Joe Johnson pick swaps, right? Yeah. It was 2013 and 2000 or 2012 and 2014 or something. They, it, what, I think there was a double 15, pick swap. But I can't remember. Oh yeah. 13 and 15. And then the Celtics got 16 and 18 unprotected, which is incredible. Unprotected. Unprotected. And then the pick swap in 17. So, well, yeah, you know, Danny Ainge is sitting there just like rubbing his hands together, hoping that nobody throws them a life raft in whatever form that would take. Yeah, my dad is kind of upset that they've stockpiled so many picks, but he's just like, so what does this mean? We're going to be good again when I'm 73 years old? Like, he's kind of in that mode, but... I do think Danny doesn't think about it that way. I think he just looks at it like assets and it's just like, can I take this asset and turn it into a better asset? And I'm going to stockpile all of these assets together. And eventually life's going to work out for me because I'm Danny Ainge and it did before. Well, that's his mindset. Let's also not like understate the importance of ownership in all of this. Like, like you've got Danny, the Celtics owners are smart. And they understand that strategy and they give Danny the green light to basically do what Danny thinks is best in in pursuit of a championship. I mean, that's what the Celtics want. They want stars or draft picks that can get them stars to try and build a championship team. And the Nets had an ownership that said, we're moving to Brooklyn. We're spending a gazillion dollars on the arena and the team. We want to be good right away at all costs. And we'll fire you in five seconds if we don't think you're executing that. And, like, that's how you end up with trades like this. That's how you end up with New Orleans trading all of its draft picks to try and get to 500 as soon as possible. Like, that's, that stuff really, really matters. Yeah, and that, you know, they've kind of slid under the radar with that. But it mildly tragic, the team they put around uh, Davis, when you think about it. Just not – it was a little bit like what Cleveland did with LeBron, those first few LeBron years, where there was this race to be good. It's over what Oklahoma City did with Durant, which was just 
you know, let's say it's a marathon, not a sprint. Let's let this breathe for a few years. Let's just take lottery picks and not do anything crazy. Um, and also let's, let's recognize that you don't win the championship when your best player is 21 years old ever. Right. Right. And the Ashik trade, I like the Ashik trade, except, uh, they're going to lose that pick now, which means they they will have lost three first round picks for Ashik and Drew Holiday, and then it also puts pressure on them to to sign Ashik. You also need luck with this stuff, you know. Oh my God! I was thinking, like, if you're the Bulls right now, after having watched Meritage, who I who you and I both really like, would you rather have Carmelo on this Bulls team? And no chance to have any sort of anything other than Carmelo, Joakim Noah, uh, uh, Rose. I, I, versus the team they have now, I guess Jimmy Butler would have stayed. Versus the team they have now and the flexibility they have with Gibson and Meritage and not having Carmelo take every shot at crutch time. I mean, that is one of the all-time fork in the roads. And they would have happily signed Carmelo, you know, yeah. happily. So you need luck. You just do. And I'll say this for New Orleans. They're getting slammed left and right, and I don't think all of it is fair. Uh, number agree. one, because of the ownership thing. Like, if you want to get good fast, the best thing to do is trade picks for established players. Like, that, they're, they're better because they don't have Nerlens Noel and Alfred Payton and a first-round pick. Like, they're qualitatively better. And actually, you know, I'm a, I like Drew Holiday. I think Drew Holiday is a good NBA player, and they've mostly signed young guys whose ages aren't that far away from Davis to the point that if it worked, if they all congealed together, they could grow into a team. The one, the two, but the two caveats are Eric Gordon has turned out to be a disaster and Robin Lopez and Vasquez for Tyreek Evans. You know, Tyreek's had a Tyreek's okay. Tyreek's pretty good. He, he meshes well. If you run a pick and roll with Tyreek and Davis and you have Ryan Anderson spacing the floor, that's really powerful offensively, but he's probably not quite worth what his contract is. And because you traded Robin Lopez, who's a very nice center, you then gave up another pick to get Ashik to, to replace a guy that you could have effectively already had on your team. And yeah. I think that's where you start to see sort of the trickling disappearance of assets in ways that are just like not optimal. You could have spent that Tyreek money just on like a couple of wing shooters or something and had basically the same team win wise with a little bit more flexibility going forward but so all that being yeah, said but you like, know, I, we both know why they did that though did what which one all Tyreek. of that together no Tyreek come on oh well that's right you know he's uh yeah. it's Arn Tellum right doesn't Arn Tellum represent half the team now <laughs> well including Anthony Davis who's the guy they cared about on that team well so I, I think that was part of it I hate giving up assets so I can then overpay Tyreek Evans. I hate that trade every time. I despised it when it happened. Um, I always liked Vasquez and I always liked Lopez. But that though you can win, you could have a playoff team and have those guys as your, your fifth, sixth, or seventh guy. You're, it's not a disaster. And the timing, you know? the timing is everything, right? Like I like look at the team that has Lopez now. Portland. Portland is a team that absolutely should consider flipping a first round pick. For like, if they got like a first round pick, if they get first round pick and like, I'm just making this up, Myers Leonard and a minimum salary if you need it for Wilson Chandler to just like beef up your bench and be a wing player that can come in and play 20 minutes. Maybe it gives you a little more versatility to play small ball when Aldridge sits, if, if the matchup dictates it. Like that's an asset play that makes sense because Portland, 
has a chance to win the championship. All their guys, except for Lillard, are prime age, and Lillard is basically in his prime anyway. Like, that's a timetable asset play that makes sense in a way that New Orleans didn't quite make sense. I think Portland will sniff around deals exactly like that, by the way. Portland's good. Portland has won me over. I like Portland as well, and they're the number one Jeff Green candidate for me. That's kind of the perfect Jeff Green spot, right? Jeff, you need to play 25 minutes. You'll never have to shoot a shot in the last 90 seconds of a game if it's tied or down one. And he'll be like, that sounds awesome. I hate shooting in the last 90 seconds. Can I just shoot when we're up 10? He'll be great. He'll be perfect. It's, I love Jeff tough Green, for the, but... it's tough for them to carve out. Well, no, they could do it. They could they, oh, could they could cobble together enough salary. It's just I, I I wonder if they look at Jeff Green. See, like the Chandler Jeff Green, Chandler's well, Jeff Green's played almost all the three at small forward this year for Boston. Some teams look at him as more of a four or a hybrid, and they just don't want small ball fours because Lamarcus doesn't mess well with those guys. He wants a five next to them. Uh, oh, but yeah, I mean, is I think true? I think Portland will sniff around for sure. So LaMarcus doesn't like the small ball fours. Well, no, I mean, like, that's been an issue. He's always said, I want a banger next to me. When they used to play Gerald mm. Wallace at the four and LaMarcus at the five, they would kill teams. And he would say, I, I, don't, I don't like taking the banging down there. I, I'd rather have a big time center or a big body next to me. And that's why they went after Hibbert. That's why they got Lopez. Like, that's their MO. Yeah. And so I, I don't see them really downsizing. But, yo, know, if they could add a wing player that could sort of take the like CJ McCollum, Will Barton, Steve Blake at the two kind of minutes and upgrade them. That's, that's powerful. Well, they have a, uh, the Robinson and Wright expiring contracts, which gets them almost to 7 million. Then they have Joel Freeland, 3 million expiring. Uh, Myers Leonard's two years left, but cheap money in McCollum. You see, he they, took seven threes last night. Who did? Myers Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, he can shoot. He's a good shooter. But seven like seven threes? threes a little bit much. Yeah, you mentioned how they could upgrade the Steve Blake spot. Steve Blake Steve Blake's been prominently involved in this Blaker season. I wasn't prepared for that. I thought his I thought he would have been, been more likely to see him on with Cassidy Hubberth on, on the ESPN NBA show at twelve thirty. Oh, he's morning. okay. He, he, yeah. they, they, this is like his nineteenth time playing for the Blazers. They love him there. He probably has like four second homes there. Yeah, some, um, guys, some guys are just one team is the right team for them, and that's it. They can't play for the other 29. But what, what, for whatever reason, one team is the right fit. Maybe that's one. It, you know, the other guy that's – back to the Celtics trade for one second. They could get something really good for Brandon Wright if they decided they didn't want to keep him. He's one year, $5 million bucks. They traded him for him. And this is why I really felt strongly that they were going to move Rondo before uh, – the end of last week because they can now spin Brandon Wright and Crowder um, before the deadline. I also think Crowder, you know, for a team like the Clippers would have real value. I feel like Crowder would play crunch time for the Clippers. He's better than Matt Barnes. Am I crazy to think he's better than Matt Barnes? I think you might be a little bit crazy to think that. Okay. Um, I mean, well, he's on my team now. You know, I become Tommy Heinsohn when, when Celtics well, he's on. He's, I, I can see how he could be. He's just unproven. And like the, uh, the under, well, first of all, Barnes is shooting like 39% from three. Whatever was going on with him. Which in terms lately of shooting he has, right? Is, no, I think that's his season long mark is something like 38, 39%. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean anyone guards him. You know what I mean? Like the spacing effect is still there. It'll gradually 36. change. 36. Okay, 36%. He's been in a slump lately then. Um, but he's like a, you know, he's feisty. He rebounds. He really cuts in smart ways off the ball. Just has a high basketball IQ that fits well with that group. Um, 
I'd rather Maybe have Jay Crowder, Crowder could do that. I'm I'm not convinced. I'd rather have Jay Crowder. I've I've already seen what life is like with Matt Barnes. And and I just think the Clippers it, it's weird to me that sometimes you watch them, they should be like one of the most athletic teams in the league, right? And sometimes I watch them and I think this team's not athletic enough, which is a weird thing to say about a team that has Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan on it. But they, especially you feel it at the two, three spots when Reddick's chasing around whoever, like a guy like Westbrook goes against them and it just seems frightening, you know, like, like, all right, who is the perimeter guy who can match this guy athletically? Um, I feel like they need to make a trade, but they have really no assets to make the trade. And Doc, the GM has been awful. I think Dr. GM should go after Josh Smith. Really? I would. You can fit the prorated minimum. I'm, I think I'm 95% sure you can fit the prorated minimum under the hard cap because they're hard capped. And I just like, I hate their bench. Other than Jamal Crawford, I just, I hate, I hate their, their bench. bench. And it's weird because Hato's shooting 50% from three, big baby shooting 50% overall. I just like, they just, I just don't think they're good. And right. I, I think if you gave big babies minutes to somebody better, that could be helpful. Um, I, I agree. They need another piece. I mean, it's crazy They're They might be the seventh best team in the Western conference right now. It's just, it's just insane. It's like the Western conference is just, this could be the greatest conference ever in a single season. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm really lukewarm on the clips. I think Christmas night will be a great test for them. Um, I, I don't like what I've seen from Blake this year. I don't, I, I feel like, uh, there's just something missing this year, whether he's not a hundred percent healthy or whether he's waiting to dial it up or he's doing too much off the court or he's got some injury. We don't know about, I don't totally understand. I think he's looked pretty explosive lately. You don't agree. Like in the last two, three weeks, I think he's made some posts. Like he's looked like old Blake to me the last couple of weeks. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been to a game in two weeks. The last one I went to was the, uh, the Phoenix game, which he was starting to look like Blake. I will admit. But I don't know. I, I voted him for, him for third MVP last year. You know, when you think of it in that context, it hasn't been the same season. I, I don't even think he would make one of the top two all NBA teams this year. The way he's I mean, played his now, numbers aren't super like early. All that different. Um, I'm looking it up. I mean, it feels like that, but he's shooting 49%, which is a little bit down, but that's well, almost rebounds all are way down. Rebounds and free throws are both down, and those are like athletic kind of indicators, but he's still taking seven free throws. His rebounds are down. It's, you know, they've been up a little bit recently, you know. Well, his, I, so his field goal percentage is down from 53 to 49. Yeah, that's all Re- jumpers. Rebounds are down 9.5 to 7.7. That's not good. I guess it's not all jumpers. He's shooting 69% at the rim, which is down from the mid-70s where he's been. Um, lately, I, I don't know. Just, I just the numbers are what they are, and, and I guess they're a little bit down. The eye test for me the last three weeks has been mostly encouraging. But you know, this, the margin for error in the West is is non-existent. Like they need peak Blake. Period. They need last season's Blake if they want to have a chance to win the championship. Hold on, I'm going to bring in Charles Barkley for one second. Hey, oh, Blake boy. Griffin, if you can't average two rebounds per quarter, that's an embarrassment. That's terrible. That's terrible. Seriously, Break, he should be averaging two rebounds a quarter. Breaking news. Uh, retired NBA player thinks current NBA player isn't good enough. <laughs> Shocking development. Every uh, retired player every retired player thinks everyone stinks and the game is going to hell. Every single one of them. I know. 
Jerry West is probably number one on that list. That'd be a good power rankings. I, I think Jerry West hates basketball. He just hates what's happened to it. He can't take it. If you if you put like one drink in him, he'll go on some sort of soliloquy. <laughs> so you had you did your Western power rankings and you had OKC number one. Clearly I'm an insane person. Why why what did the Warriors do to offend you? Nothing. I just look okay. I'm riding with healthy OKC. Okay. And I I know it's crazy because they're gonna have to come from like six, seven, or eight. I just, I'm not betting against them. If they're healthy, they were going to be my pick to win the title this year. And then everything went to hell for them. And I, I kind of wrote a column that said, I would have picked them. This should be their year. And now I'm like, now that I'm, I'm confident KD is going to be back. He's not playing tonight, but that's just his little ankle thing. I, I just, I think they're the best team. Obviously Scott Brooks is the primary source of anxiety when it comes to making that pick. But it, I, They've come very close before, and if they had been healthy the last two years, they might have made the finals and won a championship already, aside from the finals appearance they already had. Um, I just mm. think they're – they're the, I, I'm Westbrook, Durant, and Ibaka healthy in their primes is just scary to me. Now, that said, would it shock me if they lost in the first round? Of course not. The Western Conference is insane. They could absolutely lose in the first round. I don't, and, and no matter what seed they get, if they somehow rocketed up to like number three, they could still lose in the first round. Westbrook has been particularly terrifying this year. Jalen and I were arguing about it because Jalen's like, he's the same guy he's been every year. You just appreciate him more. All that stuff. That's fine. I, I feel like there's a slightly more cerebral aspect to his game. One. And two, he's the league's alpha dog now. I don't know if he's the best player in the league, but I think he has the most confidence of any player in the league. I really feel like he, he goes into I think, these I think games. De, I think Deion, Deion Waiters may still lead that category. <laughs> I mean, all right, Deion Waiters aside, <laughs> I think Westbrook goes into these games now and thinks like, I'm destroying everybody and nobody can handle me. And athletically, I'm superior to all of you. And that's his attitude. And LeBron used to be like that for years and years. And whether he's picking his spots now or whatever's going on with him, uh, I just don't feel like LeBron is like that game to game. But if you watch Russ, I don't care what game it is. It could be, you know, uh, Charlotte on a, on a Tuesday night, it could be TNT golden state. It could be some Saturday night game in Minnesota. He's playing the same way every time he's just balls to the wall and, and he's just in the zone. It's real. I feel like he's become the alpha dog of that team. Like I feel like Durant is like his, his Robin now, like they flipped Am I crazy. Uh, I mean, I, I, Westbrook has been sensational. I've always been a big Westbrook guy. You know, I, I get that he has flaws, but I've always been very, very big Westbrook pro supporter. Uh, the downside of all that is like what's happened in crunch time of a couple of games recently when Durant has been injured and it's what Westbrook taking one 30 footer after another and missing and missing yeah. and missing with no movement and no real play that's drawn up. And, and like he and like he and Reggie Jackson can both get into that mode. And they, yep. there, there's a lot of like dirty looks being shot back and forth between Durant Westbrook and Reggie Jackson. I just think they need all everyone to make it work. But yeah, Durant, I mean, look, he went off for 30 and a half last week. That was amazing. Uh, he, he's the alpha dog when he comes back. But like, to me, that doesn't matter. We did their, they're co-alpha dogs and they're both awesome. And I'm just, I'm, I'm again, anyone could win the West, but if you put a gun to my head and said, every single team is healthy, the playoffs are starting today. Who are you picking? I'm going to pick Oklahoma city. Don't feel great about it, but that's who I'm picking. Who are you picking? Gun to your head. Everyone's healthy. Who are you taking? I like going to say it's going to be all about matchups. 
I know we say that every year with the West. I like Golden State the most because um, they're going to get the one seed. They have really got nothing at all from David Lee the whole season, which has been amazing. Um, I think they have a subtle trade to make, probably not a big one, but they can upgrade the Barbosa spot and get, get somebody who can play 15 minutes a game there, who can make a couple threes and maybe be a heat check guy, which would be interesting. Getting Lee back will really help. Getting Boga back will help. I just love the way they play together. Curry's been, you know, Curry's on the short list of guys you feel good about in with three minutes left in a tie game if he's on your team. Uh, Clay took a step up. I just like the way they're playing. I think they're going to be a really tough out at home. And as you, you point out with OKC, there's a slight chemistry thing going on there because um, you also have Reggie Jackson playing for the new contract. I got, I'm going to say something nice about OKC. I like Roberson. I think they might have found something with him. Um, I don't, you obviously can't play him and uh, Perkins or, you know, you, you can't put him with another guy who's a zero shooter. Cause then you're going three on five. But I think Roberson is, is a better option at that, that kind of guy who stands in the corner spot, even if he's not a great three point shooter, at least he's a great defensive player. Um, well, you just described their starting lineup. They, they play Roberson with a guy who can't shoot. It's just Steven Adams now instead of Perkins. And Steven Adams great. is better by like a, a mile than Perkins. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I like this Oklahoma City team. I feel like some of the wrinkles have been just ironed out enough that they can do it. Now, that said, there will definitely be playoff games in which they have to take Roberson out immediately because he airballed two straight. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he'll airball two straight corner threes. Nobody will guard him in Moro or Jackson will have to come in, and that's fine. Those guys are good. Like I feel like they have good enough depth and and, and that Scott Brooks can feel comfortable doing that. Um, is there any chance OKC is going to make a trade? It's really hard for me to fathom that they wouldn't make a trade when they have the Perkins expiring, they have a number one pick, they have Jeremy Lamb, you know, McGarry, maybe even Steven Adams. Like It's not like they don't have pieces to move. And there are dudes out there that could help them. And it could be anybody. I mean, freaking Brandon Bass would help this team. You know, there's guys out there that could help them and missing pieces and veterans and people you could trust. Are we just to assume that they're never making another trade again after James Harden? That was the last trade he'll ever make. (laughs) Uh, They'll try. I just think they're justifiably cautious in terms of, you know, dealing away of of an asset that's going to be good for the next six or seven years for, short-term help that, you know, may not move the needle. And some of the names you've mentioned, Bass, the follow, guys like that, I mean, they're nice. They're luxuries. They might make a difference in one or two playoff games, and that could be enough. But, you know, when you're already as good as they are, I think you have to weigh that risk. And Adams, to me, is untouchable unless it's a blockbuster. So cross him off. Well, untouchable. <laughs> unless it's a blockbuster. Unless you're getting a big, big player. I mean, because Stephen Adams is a good young center. Like, there yeah. just aren't very many of those. Um and Lamb, I mean, does anyone in the NBA go up and down more than Lamb? He has 10 days where he, like, goes 6 for 7 every day, and now he's playing, like, 5 minutes a game, 0 for 2. Nobody trusts him. It's uh, he, He's had a really crazy NBA career. Yeah, there are nights you can catch Lamb, and, and it seems like they changed his coffee or something, and he he suddenly looks super confident. But I'm looking at uh, – it really does seem like the Harden trade was the last trade OKC's made. I mean, they made a couple – you know, like they traded Thabo to the Hawks to make it easier for them to sign or whatever, you know, like little minor roster moves just to get some sort of exception or whatever. 
But the last real trade they've made was October 27th, 2012. And that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, I remember exactly where I was NBA moment. Uh, you just started working for us, right? Oh yeah. No, I was, I got an excited text from Bill Simmons that said, I, I, it, I think it just said dork Elvis with like 15 exclamation points after it. <laughs> I, I, I wrote about, please don't trade James Harden like three weeks before that trade. Please don't, don't do it. Uh, do you think we have broken the record this year for most fan bases who feel like nobody appreciates their team enough? I feel like we're there. Uh, well, I mean, you've got the usual suspects, right? So Utah thinks everyone hates them or ignores them because they're in Utah. Toronto yeah. thinks there's a vast American conspiracy against the Toronto Raptors and everything in Canada. So those Which are is like hilarious. Your... We, both, both you and I are super pro Toronto. And yet I get emails all the time from people asking why I hate Toronto. Well, and I think part of this is because the Western conference is so good, right? So when you power rank the Western conference, someone has to be number eight and someone yeah. has to be number seven. And those fans rightfully think, hold on, my team is really, really good. How are you putting them number seven? And then you look at the teams above them and you're like, I don't know, who the hell is going to be there? Memphis? I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, who, well, well, who don't else? forget Memphis. Memphis fans think oh, they're, they're fine. They're... I like Memphis fans. Oh, I like Memphis fans too, but they're, they're always convinced people aren't talking about them enough, especially after they had the back-to-back wins last week against San I mean, there is, a certain, there is a certain, like, I mean, I get it. If you're one of those, if you're a New Orleans fan or a Memphis fan, but take Memphis specifically. I mean, how many times are they on national TV this year? I don't know, but it's in single digits. It might be less than six. Less than they should be. And, and then you're like, Thursday night rolls around, and let's get excited for this Knicks, Bulls, Lakers, Clippers doubleheader again because yep. those teams have to be on TV every single week. I mean, I get it. Why are the Lakers on TV all the time? Why are we still writing about the Lakers? They stink. Case closed. Let's ignore them for six months. Yeah. I was very excited. We did the last Grantland basketball show, and I don't even think we mentioned them, which was nice. Portland fans, huge acts to grind against everyone at all times. Yeah, um, but they're nice. No, they. No, I. We've talked about this. I. I. I fully support uh, their acts to grind, and they're right. They have two of the best eighteen players in the league, and no, they never get talked about ever. And they have a nice team, and and. And uh, the Lillard 40, what was he at, 43 or 46? What did he end up with on Friday night? 43. Oh, that was, I think 46. That was unbelievable. I was on my, I was by myself in my apartment. This is the state of my life. My, my wife was already away for the holidays. And I was just like laughing to nobody on my couch, <laughs> cackling. Like my neighbors thought, probably thought I was crazy. Um, the, uh, well, then the you same- have like, then you have it like this, the, the, the like, so there are other nobody talks about us teams, but just like their fans have either given up or there's just like deep self-loathing. Like Atlanta, you never hear from Atlanta fans being like, nobody talks about the Hawks. Right. And they're, they're 19 and seven or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, San Antonio, they're always going to feel like they just have years of scars from the years when everybody just kicked them around. And even though the last two years were San Antonio love fest, they're, st- they're still always going to have the chip on their shoulder. I feel like but yeah. I, I would I would say probably Toronto might be the number one fan base now that feels like they're not getting enough love. So give them love for 20 seconds right now. The Toronto, the Raptors or the fans? The, the Raptor fans. Just give those fans love about their team right now, about that, the fact that we know that they have a good team. I'm, I'm going there in two days, and I'm, like, devastated that the Raptors aren't home. I love the Raptors. I love watching them play. 
I've been driving the Kyle Lowry bandwagon for like three years at least. Uh, yeah. The Raptors are really good, and I'll say this: that it might be. I mean, there's no way to definitively prove this. I mean, five thirty-eight could come up with some measure, but they, that that is an unbelievable sports town. Like that's what I'll say for their fans. You go to like some dinky FC Toronto game, which is their MLS team, yeah. and like you you think you're in Brazil all of a sudden with the way the fans are. I remember being out at a bar there last holidays and there was a band playing and the band was like, I'm sorry to do this. The Maple Leafs game just went into overtime. We're taking a break from the set to watch overtime. Sorry, patrons. And like, everyone was like, yeah, watch the Maple Leafs. It's like unbelievable. You can't get tickets to Maple Leafs games. It's like getting season tickets to an NFL team. You have to wait like 30 years. It would be, I tweeted this on Friday. I haven't enjoyed watching the Cavs this year. I've been, I've been stunned by how unenjoyed, unenjoyable they've been. I really thought like, I would be like, Oh, the Cavs are on, you know, heading into the season. Oh, the Cavs are on. Like that would be like the dominant league pass feeling I'd have if they were playing. And the reality is I really like watching Toronto and Washington. And I don't really like watching the Cavs. Maybe that'll change, but I just don't enjoy them that much. I love watching the wizards and I don't know if it's how much of it is just a Paul Pierce, you know, having grown up uh, or having that guy grow up with the Celtics and became what he was. And now he's kind of settled into this savvy, crafty veteran leader guy who occasionally makes the big three. Like, I love that he's at that phase, but those are my two favorite teams in the East to watch. If you told me right now, Toronto versus Washington in the Eastern finals, I would sign up for that. I think that would be a really great finals. No question. No question. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland, I said this to Pelton last week on my podcast. Like there are two things about them. Number one, they're not running a David Blatt offense. He's given up and surrendered control of that team to LeBron. They're running a LeBron pick and roll offense. Number two, like there's just no, like they don't play with force. There's no force on that team. Like even when the heat were kind of scuffling around in year one together, you just looked at like the athleticism and the power of Wade, Bosch and James. And you thought they're still scary. They're still going to figure it out. And like, they're still like intimidating Cleveland. Like no one is going into Cleveland and being like, Oh God, we're intimidated by Cleveland. There's no like, oomph, there's no force. Uh, that right. said, they may well end up the best team in the Eastern conference. I mean, their big three is better than anyone else's, but it, it's just, I thought they would intimidate people in a different way with their passing and their shooting. And they, they just haven't yet. They're not good enough defensively. And, and, uh, LeBron just can't old LeBron could have played the 42 minutes where he's kind of on cruise control and then flipped it on. And it just doesn't seem like he can do that anymore. He'll have the, he'll have a night where, you know, he's going to have a good night, but he also has off nights too. Um, if you like Chicago's 18 and nine and Cleveland's 16 and 10 right now, Chicago's four seed Cleveland's a five seed. If I, had oh to bet money, if I had to bet money on it right now, I think Chicago has a better chance to get the one seed than Cleveland does because, you know, kind of quietly Rose has started to look like Rose again. And if that's gonna, if that's gonna keep happening and if he can stay on the court and, kind of become the guy we were hoping he'd become with all the other weapons they have and with, and with what's happened to Jimmy Butler, which is the story of the season from the WTF standpoint. Um, Chicago's the scariest team in that, in that conference. Sorry, Toronto and sorry, Washington, but, the, but it's true. Well, I'm all, I'm, I, you know, look, Derek Rose played last night after sitting out two games in a row. And before that he played a bunch of games in a row after sitting out a bunch of games. It's like, you know, 
I, I keep watching Chicago and thinking this is a this is like I might pick them to win the championship if they're healthy in April yeah. because I love their roster. I love the way they're built, and they're in the East, so they don't have quite the gauntlet that some of the teams that are probably better in the West have to get through, and then they just have to win one series against the West team. I, I, I they're, they clearly should be in that conversation. We just need to see it. And Rose and Noah haven't been able to stay on the court, and until they are. You know, we just have to withhold withhold judgment. But I, I agree. I think they are, they're like I said, if they're, if they're healthy in April, I might pick them to win the championship. Dude, they put up 49 on Toronto in the fourth quarter last night. A little home cooking. A little home cooking from the refs in that game. But, yeah, no, they're a good offensive team. Oh, no question. Team. 49, though. Yeah. I mean, you could, have, you could have Tim Donahue in 2007 as your referee, and 49 is still a crazy total. Um, the... Uh, the but I would Butler to me is a, is not a top three MVP candidate, but I think no. he's like in the top seven for what he's meant to that team because that season could have gone really wrong for them coming out of the gate with with what was going on with Rose's injury stuff and to have somebody just come in and be like, you know what guys, I've never been this kind of player before, but now I am. I got it. I'm cool. I'll be the rock of this team. Just crazy. I mean he's. They they have a chance to get the one seed because of how he held the team together those first seven weeks. I feel like any Chicago had a chance to sign him for less than the max, and they didn't take it, mm. and they're going to regret it because he's going to get the max unless he gets hurt. Well, wasn't um, it way less than the max? I you know I, I heard, heard it was like about, fifty for four or something. Well, it's unclear like what he would have accepted and what they offered. Um, I've had varying conversations about that that I probably shouldn't get into, but they definitely could have got him for less than the max. They could have, like let's just say they could have got him for probably like thirteen, twelve and a half, something like that, fourteen at the absolute peak. Um, yeah, I, I it, heard like, I heard fifty for four because Clay Thompson got seventy for four, and you know he's not Clay. He wasn't Clay Thompson at that point, but and you Al could see this was coming. getting around there. You you could see this coming. He's healthy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and frankly, like I, I predicted, you know, that I or like, I was optimistic about him, but frankly, partly because Rose was back and he wouldn't have to do as much heavy lifting. And it turns out he's fine either way. I mean, he's, he's, you know, obviously in the long run going to be better off if Rose can create some stuff for him, but no, he's been, he's been out. It's, it's really fun to watch him. He is explosive and smart and tough as all hell. He, he is fun to watch. True or false, the Celtics um, picked Marshawn Brooks like right before him and then traded that pick for Juwan Johnson. Where is Juwan Johnson now? It's a great question. I'll tell you this Somewhere much. there's like a 3,000-word post on Celticsblog.com about Juwan Johnson's potential to be a stretch four in the NBA. I just want I just want somebody to find me the one six foot eleven two hundred pound guy who just needed to put on some weight who ended up making it at the end of the first round of an NBA draft. Was that the same draft as Fab Mello, or is that a different draft? No, see now you're trying to hurt my feelings. Um, Sorry. Now Fab Fab Mello was the year after. The Celts. I think you're right. The Celts. They did the J.R. Giddens over yeah, DeAndre Sullinger Jordan. Mello. Sullinger Mello were back to back. That's right. The mellow one was like just instantly a cross off. There was never a point in my life where I felt like that pick was making it. It was like, oh, I'm crossing that off now. Wait, he's, he's just getting his hat. No, I'm crossing it off. I'm done. But that uh, was your classic. We have back to back picks, and we're willing to just like take the three percent gamble 
because we have, we feel like we have an extra chance. So let's just do it. Yeah. I, I'm not going to bring that up, pick up to Mike's Aaron until about 2020. I feel like we're probably <laughs> wait till next decade to make fun of him. Probably still a little raw. Um, all right, Zach, I think we hit everything, right? Uh, I guess. Yeah. We talked about a lot of teams. I don't know who else we, who else we should have. Yeah, that's it. I think we hit everything. I I don't want to talk about the Knicks and I don't want to talk about the Lakers because they're both terrible and who cares? I agree. Let's, let's, let's end it. We didn't talk about the Kings. Did we already talk about the Kings on a previous podcast? We didn't know. We never talked about the Kings. All right, let's do that quickly and then we'll finish it. Uh, yeah, the Kings. (laughs) I guess guess that's all I got. Ty Corbin is the head coach of the Kings. They're not playing four on five. (laughs) They did no. play a lot of small ball last night, but Golden State kind of offers that opportunity. Uh, I thought, I really thought Ty Corbin was going to play. Like maybe we'd see like three possessions of four on five. Josh Smith mm-hmm. will sign up to play four on five. It was the best thing about it is Harala Bob's Twitter feed. Now that uh, Sacramento has announced they're going to play a faster pace with Ty Corbin. It's really like they're just baiting him. It was like they had a they had a, a meeting in the in the king's office to decide how to how to bait him the most they could and th- and this was it and then you see like you know he's calling plays for the bench I thought you were playing a faster pace uh, point guards are slowing it up and looking over them it's like what so the, what's going on and then Golden State just blows them out of the water with a faster pace Sacramento is out of its mind. And they're capable of anything. And if you don't think they, they're trying to figure out a way to trade for Darren Williams and Joe Johnson at the same time, you're lying to yourself. I mean, it's impossible with the cap, but they're capable of anything. They're if in the Tyson put, zone. If you put yourself in their shoes, you can kind of start talking yourself into Darren Williams. And then you step back and you're like, Darren Williams is the second highest paid point guard in the NBA. And he might be the 15th best point guard in the NBA, maybe 14, 13. 17 yeah. and he makes the second highest salary. Like just, just think about those two numbers, two and 15. You don't get that guy. You say we can fill the position in other ways and spend that money in other ways and be more efficient at it. Just like stop. Like you can nitpick the X's and O's and think, Oh yeah, he can play with cousins and like he'd be a third option and blah, blah, blah. Just if he two and 15, that's it. Stop the conversation. Well, and the other problem with Darren Williams is his contract isn't even up next year. No, it's up in 2017. You get three years of him. But that's what I'm saying. You can talk yourself into it because like, even with that, that's when the cap's going so far up, probably that you can take in that contract and still have flexibility. And this like, you start having this internal monologue and they just stop. But no, you don't pay the 15th best point guard, the second highest point guard. So just avoid it. Just stop. Just hang up the phone, hang up the phone and do something else. And going back to what we were talking about with luck at the beginning of the, of the uh, podcast, if Darren Williams says, you know what, Mark Cuban, I'm in. I want to be a Maverick. How screwed are they? They wouldn't have been able to do anything else. Their team would have been Dirk Nowitzki, Darren Williams, and Brandon Wright. It is funny. It is funny. Everyone hammered him for not showing up to that meeting because of Shark Tank. and <laughs> Including myself. That was one of my favorites. I love making fun of him for that. That's great. Uh, it all worked out. Yeah, all worked out. And, mm-hmm. uh, I guess we'll see what this can be interesting. A couple months heading to the trade deadline. We will have a lot to talk about. Zach Lowe, enjoy the holidays. Uh, thanks for all your hard work in 2014. I thought you had a career year. 
Uh, Kevin Pelton said it was the best year of your career. He ran some uh, PR writer metrics and and was really impressed. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Kevin actually did that, but I'll take it. Uh, happy holidays. Say hi to all our friends in Toronto. Tell them we do respect their team and we like watching them. And uh, we will talk to you in 2015. Have fun. Happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you. And uh, happy holidays to everyone out there. Enjoy the Christmas uh, marathon on ESPN and TNT. I will be at the Warriors Clippers game, and I am delighted about that. I cannot wait to go to that. I'll talk to you after the holidays. Take care. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out. Gotta say, Gola, great call on grabbing Subway for lunch and getting guacamole on our subs. Told you this new guac really amps up the flavor. Yep, something adding up things can be great. Guacamole on your sub, a new co-host to replace you. What was that? Oh, no, nothing. Subway now has deliciously rich new guacamole made from ripe Haas avocados with just a hint of garlic, onion, and jalapeno. Discover how new guacamole turns up the flavor on any of your freshly made favorites. Subway, eat fresh.